0: Amen. Thank you for inviting me. It has been a pleasure to get to know Blake and to know the great work that's happening here at St. Peter. This is our neighbor parish. We were so fortunate to have Father Clark at St. Michael for his first assignment. So uh, I was able to serve with him in a number of capacities. I have a sense as to how he may want to lead the parish. Uh, So my job tonight is to take us from where we were last week to where we will be next week. So last week was discernment. We're going to look at Uh, discernment from a deeper perspective, from the perspective of complementarity of the gifts. And then next week, Father's gonna take the last leg of the journey into mission. Um, There are some handouts, Blake, would you mind? I know that he's just walked in, so anybody else that may need a handout, would you hand those out? Thank you very much. So if you take a look at your handout, I wanna establish some fundamentals. These things have already been addressed in previous sessions, but I think it's important for us to look at them fresh As we go into tonight's topic on complimentary of the gifts. So the first part is just the reality that the giver of all gifts has gifted each one of us. So God, who is so gracious, lavishes gifts upon us regularly, has given us the opportunity to be instruments for him. So he does work through us. And tonight we're going to look more deeply at how he does that. I wish we had time to talk about all of the gifts that God has given us. Um, But of course, we don't have time. So we're gonna look at two main categories of gifts. One would be the sanctifying gifts. And the second category of gifts will be the charisms. We're gonna spend the majority of time with that second category of charisms. But just a note about the sanctifying gifts. So sanctifying gifts, sometimes we call these the apostolic gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are given these first at baptism when we become children of God. We need these gifts. They're for us personally. They help us to become holy. So these sanctifying gifts allow us to function at a supernatural level that we could never function at on our own. But these sanctifying gifts given at baptism are sealed at our confirmation and they are developed through grace, the the grace we receive through the sacraments, as well as just living a virtuous life. They allow us to become more docile to the Holy Spirit, which is incredibly important because our life journey is really a life of growing and spiritual maturity, and we need to be docile to the Holy Spirit to be led by him. So sanctifying gifts, one category of graces and gifts that we can talk about. But the second category falls in this category of special graces, And within that category are the charisms. That's what has been the focus for these last number of weeks. So the charisms, as you've learned already um, on number three, the charisms are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to associate us with his work. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. So his work is to sanctify souls. He allows us to assist him in that work through these particular gifts of the charisms. So charisms are not meant for us. It's different from sanctifying gifts. Charisms are meant for others, and so they've been given to us to serve. They indirectly and directly build the body of Christ. They build up the church. That's what God is—he's a builder. So if you look there at three, charisms enable us to be instruments of God's providence. They uh, they act like avenues of His provision. So He works. Through us, God largely likes to heal people, save people, um, build people through the work of other people. It's really beautiful how he does that. Tonight, we are going to look at the complementarity of these gifts. In other words, how they work together. They work together in harmony. We're going to look at it from two perspectives, however. We're going to look at it from that personal dimension. In other words, what does that complementarity look like within me? But we're also going to look at it from an ecclesial perspective. In other words, what does that look like from a parish perspective? So we're going to go real proximate within, but then we're going to end by looking at a large parish. So I'm making a huge assumption tonight that you're here because you are vested in the well-being of this parish. I know that Father Clark has a lot of work Uh, that he's been assigned uh, to do here by God through the bishop, and he needs others to assist him in that work. So you have been given charisms to do that. So let's dive in. Um, If you take the next section, take a look at that next section, perspective. Hmm. I love um, Glinda. The good witch of the Wizard of Oz said that it is always best To begin at the beginning, and I think that's important. When we are learning any aspect of the faith, we want to keep the big picture in mind. Um, So while it would be wonderful to spend the whole day talking about the gospel and the saving message of Jesus Christ, we don't have enough time. So I'm going to force myself to be brief. But it is important for us to just consider the gospel message. Because if we don't understand the gospel message, we don't even understand the need for gifts of grace. So the gospel message, you can call it, uh, perhaps you call it the krigma, the saving message of Jesus Christ, um, the good news. But this gospel message, I have seen it shared in as few as three steps to as many as six, but I like four. Um, This is the language, actually, that the Archdiocese of Omaha is using. They're doing amazing things in regards to discipleship and evangelization up there. And they use this language, and I think it suits our purposes well tonight. So if if I were to explain the gospel in four simple points, I would use relationship, rupture, restoration, and response. And we're really going to focus on the response portion for the evening. But the first point is this, relationship. God has created us. He has willed us into being out of love. And he has done so for love. So God loves us personally and uniquely. He doesn't love us, you know, like a, the whole big group, God loves us kind of a thing. He loves each one of us uniquely. And he has a plan for our life. And his plan is perfect. But point number two, and that's that sin entered the world. And so sin ruptures that relationship with God. It re- ruptures the relationship with God, with one another, and within ourselves, and that's a problem because it impacts who we are. It impacts how we function. Our nature now is disordered. We are we're inclined to sin. We're inclined to be selfish. God could have left us in that situation, but he didn't. He loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to assume human nature, to show us how to love, to show us how to live. And so what Jesus does is brings us back into relationship with the Father. He reconciles us. But he also asks us to repent. And he asks us to surrender our life to him. That's where point number four comes. Point four is response. When we say yes to Christ when we surrender to him, or some people call it uh, dropping your nets, uh, or giving our heart to Christ. But when we say yes to him, then we are giving the Holy Spirit permission to transform us. And that is incredibly good news because God does not just want to save us, he wants to transform us. He wants to make us new. I want us to focus on that for the rest of the evening that really colors everything else that we need to talk about so take a look at the bottom of this first page given our response when we say yes to christ we can be assured that god wills our holiness that's what he wants he wants us to be holy he wants us to be whole with the w-h-o-l-e and that's where sanctifying gifts come in so he's given us those sanctifying gifts so that we can be holy However, holiness isn't an end in itself, but holiness is always more than just the personal relationship with God. So we think about a cross, and we know a cross has, has a horizontal dimension and a, and a vertical dimension, vertical, horizontal, has both of those dimensions. So our love of God is intimately connected with our love of neighbor. If you look at that third point, Jesus taught us, that very point, that it's intimately connected. So that brings us to the fourth point. So as Catholics, what we want to seek through our holiness of life is the glory of God, which is magnified through our holiness, and the salvation of souls. Both are, ne- are necessary. It's not just about me and Jesus, but my neighbor is essential part of that relationship with God. So flip to the next part, complementarity of the gifts. So first we're going to consider complementarity from the personal dimension. The word complementarity, if we just look at compliment, and this is different from compliment with an I, which is like, you know, Blake, I like your bike, you know, that kind of a compliment. But this is complement with an E, which means When one thing enhances another, or one thing improves another, perfects another. Two things that go well together. So think about the relationship between love of God and love of neighbor. It's almost like they're more reciprocal probably than complementary, but we're going to go with complementary. So as one, as I grow in love of God, I am able to grow in love of neighbor. I cannot love my neighbor without the love of God. And as I love my neighbor more and more, and better and better, then my love for God grows. There's, there's a reciprocity there. They complement one another. Just as they work together, so do our two categories of gifts, our sanctifying gifts and our charisms. So when I grow in sanctifying grace, and the Holy Spirit is able to work more and more in me, which is the goal, As we continue to grow in that spiritual life, the Holy Spirit does more and more of the work, and we do less and less. But those sanctifying gifts, as I grow in holiness, then my charisms are able to be more effective. They bear more fruit. There's less obstacle there. The Holy Spirit can do more through me. So it's a beautiful relationship, a complementarity that happens within us as we continue to grow in our relationship and our intimacy with God. But let's look at number five. Our charisms themselves also complement one another. So in other words, um, most people have more than one charism, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a bit. But those charisms work together. And when they work together, there's a uniqueness to them so that Each person becomes this perfectly designed, unique instrument of God through which his glory is going to shine in a way that's unrepeatable by anybody else. We would say that those charisms working together have a missionary call. They are serving a particular purpose for God's providence. It's kind of like the best analogy I can think of would be like musical notes you know you think there aren't very many musical notes and I should probably remember how many there are because I took piano for like eight years but I don't remember I just remember every good boy does fine and face so that's about (laughs) all I remember but if you just take that number and imagine the infinite number of chords it's kinda like that for the human person we have all these possibilities of how people can be designed as instruments through which God works. And that's what our charisms permit. So each one of us has been given this personal vocation by God, this call from God. So when we say personal vocation, typically when we think vocation, we first go to, well, I'm called, you know, to the priesthood, I'm called to the married life or consecrated single life. And that's true. But personal vocation would be larger than that. It would include that call of state But it also is calling, there's also within that call, a particular, uh, perhaps, professional call. But even more than that, even within that professional call, there's some type of work that God's calling us to do that only we can do. It's like there's something he wants to do through us. This type of discernment, if you look at number six, letter A, this kind of discernment, Sherry Waddell calls this uh, discerning toward a general area of call. Having that refined of a discernment takes a long time. It probably, in many cases, takes a lifetime. And it makes sense because it's difficult to discern something when we're still being formed which is really what God's doing. So young people want to know their vocation. They want to discern their vocation. And they think, I'm called to the married life. I found my spouse. I've got my first job. I'm set. I've discerned. And they've only begun. There's so much more yet that God's doing in their lives. So many ways he's forming them. And it's a matter of them continuing to discern that in patience with the Lord as their life unfolds. The best way I can describe this is to think about how, for those of you who are parents, to think about how you come to understand the personality of your child. So each child is very different. And as parents, even from those first days, so Blake, your baby girls, two weeks, you already can see elements of her personality. You know, her mannerisms, a little bit, even in baby form, Um, uh, temperament, response patterns, all of those things begin to emerge. And as you get to know your child and they, this child grows and has more experiences, more aspects of their personality unfold. It's like that for our own personal vocation, our own missionary call. Take a look at this beautiful quote from Pope John Paul II. <clears throat> I Do I have room to move a little bit or should yeah. I? Okay. Yeah, you have a, right. a wide space. Okay. I thought I was changed. Um, that God with his call reaches the heart of each individual and the spirit who abides deep within each disciple gives himself to each Christian with different charisms and special signs each one therefore must be helped to embrace the gift entrusted to him as a completely unique person and to hear the words which the spirit of God personally addresses to him that quote reminds me of the uh, verse, I believe it's chapter 2 in Revelation, that speaks about a white stone with a new name on it that only he knows. It has that kind of a reminiscence to me. Discernment, our own personal discernment of our gift mix, our complementarity of those charism, charisms we've been given, is important to also consider that those charisms that we have manifest themselves differently when they're in working in conjunction with one another. I recently had the opportunity to go through the called and gifted training with Sherry Waddell. And so um, we've started to offer the called and gifted training um, at the parish. So this summer we've been working through our first group and it's been an amazing experience as I'm sure Blake's finding as well. Um, And I'm looking forward to us talking about it, having coffee. Last week and this week, I've had the opportunity to do gift interviews which each, with each of the persons going through, and it has given me an entirely different perspective of God, a much broader, not, I mean, I had broad perspective of God. I'm not diminishing uh, his magnitude in any way, but even more so, his majesty and magnitude is just emphasized as I'm listening to each of their stories. Women that I actually know pretty well but as I'm hearing them show evidence of charisms, what I'm seeing is this incredible, beautiful uh, synchrony of their charisms working together. And it's very clear to me how God's working through them. He's doing particular types of work through each one of them uniquely, so much so that I sometimes stop and say, do you see what I'm seeing? Are you able to recognize what God's doing? Not for you, but for others. Do you see why he's bringing people to you? Um, are you picking up on those patterns? It's been remarkable. You could have 10 people with the same charism, perhaps 10 people with a charism of encouragement, and it's gonna look different in each person because of their circumstances, the, the call they have, the work they're doing, uh, their life, uh, you know, life experiences and so forth. For us to flourish, I'm looking at number eight here. For us to flourish in the way that God desires us requires maturation on our part. And so we want to continue to grow in personal formation, in spiritual formation, in discipleship way of life. And all of those things will assist us in our ongoing discernment. So now let's consider, take a breath. I sometimes go too fast, so tell me if I'm going too fast. Now let's consider the ecclesial dimension from a parish perspective. Maturation and wholeness and what God wants for us, that happens largely through relationships. Of course, primarily a relationship with him the three persons of the Trinity, but then with his body, the church. So we need one another to become the people that God has designed us to be. Even introverts, we need one another. That's how, that's how God shapes us. So the church is the body of Christ. And just as we would never want to separate Jesus from his body, because we want the whole Christ, as Augustine said that, we want the whole Christ, so just so, you know, we would never want to separate um, our service of one another and our gifts from others. They have been given to us for others, those charisms. It is antithetical to be Christian and to only care about ourselves. We can't say we're Christian when we're only caring about ourselves. So, to love is our duty. We are to love God and love our neighbor. And so, the opposite of love would be self love. So, there's a real push, Christ asks and he's calling us to go out. We really see that in the lives of the saints. When you start to read the saints carefully, you begin to pick up on patterns in their lives in which they all become more and more outward facing, more and more community focused, whether that community is their religious community, or the family, or a, a diocese, you know, or the world if you're a pope, um, but they become much more other focused, completely selfless, because they imitate Christ, who is completely selfless. So if you look at number six, this is where we're getting kind of to the crux. We have a role to play in helping others on their path to eternal life. Becoming more like Christ means become becoming more and more other-focused. So our yes to God assists, uh, assists, sorry, I got distracted by a baby. Um, our yes to God assists, him in the work of sanctification of souls that's what we're doing when we say yes and he desires to do something masterful in others through us so that means that holy healthy development of the body of christ and i'm going to consider the parish we're just going to consider saint peter parish what god wants to do here he has gifted saint peter parish with directly willed persons that are here with particular charism gift mixes for a reason. So the holy development of the body of Christ, or this parish, requires first of all that we all take our own maturation seriously, in other words, our commitment to growing in holiness, but also that we commit to being builders of others. So builders and equippers of others' development. The most local dimension of church for most people is the parish. I love that Patrick Lencioni, so he's a leadership expert, and he's the one that's largely responsible for the Amazing Parish movement. And when it first came out, actually, Father Clark was with us at St. Michael, and so we were able to go to one of the very first Amazing Parish conferences, and it was amazing. And it really shaped our understanding of what parish should be. Patrick Lynchioni says, and quote, a parish is probably the most important organization in society. It is where most people come to know Christ and his church. He says that everybody who steps onto the campus of a parish is looking for Christ. And so that really raises the bar as to how a parish should function. We begin to see that it's more than just a group of individual people coming to worship Christ, but it is a living body coming together, meant to serve one another. Okay, if you flip to the back, I want to show you what Sherry Waddell calls the thresholds of conversion. If we are to be a healthy, mature parish, then what we need to do is take our responsibility by the reins, which is to foster conversion of heart. What I want to do is, is show you the thresholds of conversion because it plays directly into the reality of what we need to do to help people foster charisms. Um, so before, I will have, Blake, I'll probably have you help me hand out, but just hold on just a second. I want to share just a couple points before we look at the thresholds. So <clears throat> I think, Blake, you've talked about Sherry Waddell already a few times, so I won't go into who she is and that kind of thing, but she's the one that coined the phrase threshold of conversion, but she it wasn't didn't originate with her. Um, there was actually a Protestant pastor doing youth ministry in the 90s, mid-90s, and they noticed that their students on campus weren't going through conversion. One year, they happened to see a lot of students go through conversion, and so what they did, they studied them. So for about 30 about 38 students, he and his team um, spent time having conversations, studying, asking them what happened, what changed, and what they found is that all of those students went through similar stages in their conversional process. Sherry latched onto that study and then sort of reframed it into what we now call the thresholds of conversion. Before we look at those, though, we need to talk about conversion. Because really, a parish is in the business of facilitating conversion. That's what we're doing. That's what the Lord wants. He wants converted minds, hearts, and way of life. And so that's what we're, we're doing is helping to facilitate that, facilitating those encounters that lead to deep conversion, deep prayer. Technically, our first conversion is our baptism. You know, For, for a, a child who's born, our first conversion would be, baptism, where we actually become a child of God. But let's just say, given that, that as I grow in my journey with the Lord, there will be a first intentional conversional movement, and that is when I actually become a disciple by choice. That's when I will to surrender to Jesus Christ. That is my first intentional conversion we have a lot of people in our pews that have not made that move yet. The second intentional conversion, if you look here at number, two, number three, the second intentional conversion is a conversion to mission. And this is where I move beyond just growing in personal sanctity, as awesome and important as that is, into a life in which I pour myself out into others. I become missionary in my discipleship. So it's not just me following Christ, which we're called to do, we're called to follow him, we're called to imitate him, become like him. But he said, go, make disciples. So we're called, the reflection we had at the beginning, um, there before the blessed sacrament challenged us, bear fruit, he's appointed us to bear fruit a look at quote number five. So this is a great book. we Our leadership team actually read this, this summer, um, Made for Mission, Renewing Your Parish Culture, because we just went through a strategic planning process and developed a, a new plan. Well, it was like a refurbished version of our original plan. Tim says, by the way, he was in the Archdiocese of Denver. They're doing amazing things. He did such great work that they actually pulled him, and now he's working with the USCCB uh, conference that's um, kind of putting out this whole Eucharistic Congress. That's the Tim. He said, many people stop before the second conversion. They are infinite growers. They have the initial conversion and out of genuine fervor, spend the rest of their lives learning more about the faith and seeking to grow in prayer. This is not a bad thing. But it's not the final horizon for those of us baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Instead, each of us is called to multiply our discipleship. Pope Benedict XVI put it this way, discipleship and mission are like two sides of a single coin. When the disciple is in love with Christ, he cannot stop proclaiming to the world that only in him do we find salvation. What we want to see in a healthy, thriving parish is um, the number of folks who commit to becoming missionary, we want that number to grow, starts with, starts with encounter, and then it moves into discipleship, and then we move into missionary discipleship. Blake, would you hand out these thresholds of conversion? Thank you so much. So um, I'm going to hand these out uh, just so you have a reference to take with you, but I'd like to share with you the spectrum of what this threshold conversion looks like. And as I show this to you, think about your own unique story. And think about how you've walked these stages. They're not linear, by the way. I think that it can be very um, uh, circuitous at times in our life. We can move forward and then move back and, and have this, because you know, we're, we're human persons. are the thresholds, but I want to share a little bit about the period before and the period after, which we're going to call MD for um, missionary discipleship. So here's how Sherry would explain the thresholds of conversion. This is the pre-trust stage. This is a person who has no association whatsoever with Christ or the church. Once a person crosses the next threshold, or actually goes into the next stage, the person has to cross this threshold of trust to move into the next stage. The threshold of trust means I am now forming a positive association with someone related to the church. So perhaps this is a friend who likes you. Doesn't want to know about church or Christ, but likes you and trusts you and befriends you and you befriend this person. And so that threshold opens the person up for continued development. By the way, Sherry Waddell says that I don't remember her exact statistic. But I'm thinking it's like upper 90s. The majority of people in our pews are free trust, trust, safety majority. That I think right, that right there is a mic drop When we think about it, once I have a positive association with someone, and I'm continuing to develop and continuing to convert, the next. Threshold that I need to cross is openness. Openness is not active. We sometimes latch on to openness way too quickly. Openness just means I'm just open to like wonder. Like, this is the person who says, How come your kids are so much different from everybody else's? Like, why are you so happy? What's, what do you do differently in your marriage? You know, why do you go to church on Sunday? Now I'm open to learning a little bit more. I don't want anything to do it. There's no commitment on my part. But openness at least means there's an opening. And God can do so much, even through a crack. So what we want to pray for is openness. Openness. As I move along, the next threshold that I need to cross is curiosity. This is so passive. Curiosity means I just want to know more. I just want to know a little bit more. I'm not saying I want to change. And what can happen here is we can really stamp out a flame, a small little flame. We can come on way too strong. Sometimes we think, oh, this person's asking questions. You should go to RCIA. That's the last thing that person needs right now. The person is just expressing some curiosity about who this Jesus Christ is or what the church is really about. Further development, when it becomes active, it means I've reached the stage of seeking. At this point, now I'm actually looking into it myself. I'm engaged. I'm in the game. Now I am asking questions. Now I do want to know. Now, I do recognize there's a possibility I may have to change some things in my life. This is a prime candidate for RCIA. By the way, a person can stay in these stages at any length of time. Any length of time. As I continue in my seeking and I develop as a disciple, it's the seeking point where I really begin to drop my nets. This is typically when I have I'm getting close. If I have not yet encountered Christ, I'm getting close. When I really have that, that, really working toward that first intentional conversion. When I do decide, yes, I surrender my life to you, Christ, that's when I drop my nets. That is a pivotal change in my life. That first intentional conversion means everything after that is different. When we have... Um, conversations with people. We have threshold conversations with people. What we're looking for is evidence of that pivotal moment. Has this person truly encountered Christ? Is life different now? Because you can see that. It's evidenced in the way they live their life. An intentional disciple you don't want to stay just (coughs) as amazing as this is. If you can only imagine if 90 some percent of our people are here, we have a really small percentage of people who are here. And Jesus is asking us to go there. He is saying, I want you to go and make disciples. He's asking a lot. This is why we need charisms. This is where charisms fit in. Sherry Waddell says that it's not until a person actually has that profound encounter that the charisms even begin to manifest themselves. I ponder that all the time. That means we have a parish full of people with dormant charisms. i I think about it. We have dormant charisms. If my charisms aren't, when you really, if you think about it, that first conversional moment, it's probably then that those graces from baptism and confirmation become activated. That's really, you know, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a reigniting. There's a renewal of those graces. Because mm-hmm. if we've been baptized and confirmed, those are permanent graces within us. Um, meant to be permanent, guess we can do mortal sin. But those can be reignited. use our charisms and we want to help build up the body of Christ we want to help others discern their charisms and do that we want to have parishioners that encounter Christ parishioners that are truly seeking him and are working toward intentional discipleship so as you can imagine when we think about this probably looking at a bunch of parish leaders here or we're thinking about the reality of it that's a lot of work to do It's the Holy Spirit who converts. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. But the Holy Spirit wants to work through people. And he's asking for our yes. Okay. I want us to have a little time for some small group discussion, but I'm just going to touch very briefly on the last few points, and then we'll dive into some small group. You had an opportunity to meditate on John 15, which really emphasized beautifully two core points from tonight, two core takeaways. One is that we must abide in Christ. So in other words, we can do nothing without him. You know, all, all, is, all stems from our intimacy with the Lord. So we must abide in him deeply to grow ourselves. But also we recognize that he calls us to love. He calls us out of ourselves to serve to love one another, to build up the body. He is looking for fruit. You think about your charisms, number two. You have been designed uniquely. You've been equipped for a particular missionary work meant for the benefit of your neighbor. Now, this work is in addition to what we would be obliged to do anyway, know, we should be engaging in spiritual works of mercy, corporal works of mercy. We should be doing those things anyway, just in, in Christian life, Christian daily living. So our charism missionary call is, in addition to that, it's like a supernatural charge of a particular kind of work God wants us to do. No one else can glorify God like you can through the way He's designed you. The fruit that we bear through our charisms depends on our openness. To being his instrument, our yeses to the divine appointments he provides, and more than anything to our intimacy with him. So, the more we live a life of grace and virtuous habits, docility to the Holy Spirit, pure and sincere resolution to do his holy will, then the more he can work through our charisms to build up his body, the church. I've dumped a whole whole lot of stuff on you to think about. I think it's important for us to have some small group discussion. So just with uh, the people at your table, um, or if, if you're a small number and you wish to go to a bigger <laughs> table, you're more than welcome to get up and, and move around, get up and walk around. There are more questions that we have time for. But if you take a look at the back, <clears throat> I would like us to, to think about these things. If you don't have a chance to talk about them together, perhaps you could take them to prayer. The first one is charisms typically manifest themselves after we are living, in a, living a personal relationship with Jesus. What implications does that have for our parish? Number two, what are some ways to facilitate a person's encounter with our Lord? Number three, how might God be calling you to be more other-centered? That might be more of a private, personal question that you would want to take to prayer. Number four, what is the next best step to take, and the discernment of your charisms. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and talk with each other, and let's come back 8, 825. We'll take just a few minutes at the end and offer some big ahas. I'd love you to talk, and then perhaps take one key idea that comes out of your group discussion, and, and that's what we'd like you to share with our larger group. Go ahead and feel free to dive in. Thank you.